Welcome back to First Time Long Time on the Voice Podcast Network. I'm your host, Roman, and I'm joined with my co-host, Nathan. Good to be back here, Roman. I like how you're saying Voice Podcast Network. That makes it, that makes it sound really official. We're getting big. We're getting big. We're getting yeah, yeah. brand. Um, Where, what platforms are we available on? Let's that <laughs> That's a great first. question there, Nathan. We're available wherever you can get your podcast, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're there. And, of course, on thegeorgetownvoice.com. Um, today's episode we will be joined later on by a new first-time caller um the voices managing editor sarah watson who will be talking to us about variety of climbing and mountain sports we're very excited uh something that nathan and i don't know much about but sarah knows a lot about so that'll be good um but first this week in sports we are looking back on the 1997 nhl draft which occurred almost 25 years ago at this point um, and it's one of the, it, there were really some big names in this draft, you know, number one overall pick, of course, Joe Thornton to the Boston Bruins, number two, Patrick Marlowe to San Jose Sharks, uh, Ali Jokinen and Roberto Longo went three and four. Marion Hosa was the number 12 overall pick. Um, these were some big names, some future Hall of Famers. Hosa's already in the Hall of Fame. Um, and Marlowe and Thornton, obviously two all-time shark greats that are very near and dear to my heart, will be in the Hall of Fame someday. It's a little crazy to see that you could argue, Nathan, that they got the the four teams that picked the first four players, they got it right. You know, you can argue Hosa should have been higher up, but those are four legit all-stars that came out of the top of this draft. You don't see that very often these days. Yeah, this is definitely a star-studded draft. Um, not a great result for the Capitals. Uh, I went, I kind of went through, and they had drafted Nick Boynton, who was a great player in Chicago but never, never skated a shift for the Capitals. Um, speaking of Marion Hosta, though, this is a really interesting thing. So Cap Friendly came out with um, 18 players exempt from the expansion draft due to injury. And um, three of those players, Marion Hosta, Marion Gabrick, Henrik Zetterberg, I had no idea they were still in the league. Like, like, like those are like, Obviously, they're very skilled, great players, but they're fossils at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, I think more than any other league, really, maybe maybe the NBA with some of the stretch clauses, but the NHL has some really weird salary cap gymnastics go, that go on. Um, I Like, I remember that Chris Pronger's deal kept being traded around, and now Hosa, who's already... This man's already in the Hall of Fame, and yet he's still on these lists, and still his contract's still going. It's it's pretty crazy. It doesn't make much uh, much sense to me. I mean, I mean, Charles Charles still sticking around at age forty four. You know, if you're a senior citizen looking to looking to play in the NHL, Washington Washington's kind of your destination. <laughs> One thing um, of interest in this draft um, is besides Hosa, obviously, who had a lot of success in Chicago is guys like Marlowe, guys like Thornton, Luongo, Jokinen, they never won, you know, um, they never won a, a Stanley Cup championship. And that definitely has to weigh on them, I'm sure. Uh, I know Jokinen uh, set a record for, like, most games played before making the playoffs. Marlowe just set the all-time record for most games played, period, and he never won a championship. Joe Thornton, obviously, Hall of Famer, won a Hart Trophy. Uh, joined up with Marlowe in the mid-2000s on the Sharks, um, and they've never reached the promised land. And it's just kind of it's kind of tough to see that that legends, they, they never had a chance to win. And, you know, I know Thornton and Marlowe both at different times in the past few years have, have tried to go get rings elsewhere. Uh, notably, the two of them both tried to sign with Toronto. Um, and I, you know, I can't believe they thought the Maple Leafs would be their best choice at a championship because they're they're Toronto, you know. Uh, but it's just it's noticeable that that these these players never actually got to that 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 next level, that promised land, and that that kind of sucks to see looking back on their careers because they all had really long twenty year careers. Um, it's just something worth noting. All right, so that was this week in sports history. Thank you for bearing with us. We're going to jump into our next part of the topic, um, which is going to be our NBA championship picks. Nathan, we are in the conference finals. Um, the conference semifinals were crazy. If we want to recap those a little bit, how it was to watch those, especially in the uh, Eastern Conference. 
But I'd like to hear kind of maybe your surprises of the playoffs and um, who, you know, as of today, the Suns lead the Clippers 1-0 and the Hawks uh, and Bucks still have yet to play. But as of today, who are, who's your pick to win the championship and uh, what have you learned in the playoffs so far? Yeah, I have no idea, to be honest with you. Like, it, it seems like it seems like all the heavy hitter, like, players like LeBron and Kevin Durant have kind of been knocked out and... Giannis is the only one standing, but I it's just tough to trust Milwaukee. I think Atlanta's too young. Um, I I don't I don't know. I feel terrible. Like I feel terrible picking the Clippers. I I don't think I will though. I I really like the way Phoenix is built. Devin Booker's been in the league long enough, and you know Chris Paul just wins. I know he's hurt. I know he's out for COVID issues. Um. But once they get him back, and they already won game one, a dramatic game one. Once they get him back, it's going to be on. And they and their role players fill them out so well. I mean, guys like Jay Crowder and uh, and uh, McCall Bridges, they're they're just built for the modern NBA, right? Like like you want to you want to think about three and D that that's and also an explosive athlete too. That's the type of thing that Bridges can do. It's just such a weird season because because of a ton of injuries and and COVID problems throughout the league, um, but it would just it would just be very gratifying for me personally to see Chris Paul win a championship. I mean, I don't think he gets the respect he deserves. Um, he's resurrected, you know, three franchises from the dust now, and um, I hope I hope he can sort of he can get a championship here uh, in the back half of his brilliant, illustrious career. It's kind of funny to me, the amount of people I I've been rooting for the Suns for a while. I started, I like, I admit to jumping on the bandwagon after they went undefeated in the bubble last year. I did not, I was not a big Booker fan before that, but uh, there's this guy on Twitter, Shrikar. I don't know if you follow him. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I've been following him. Uh, I've been following at Shrieky Shooter um since the bubble last year and i think my twitter algorithm thinks i'm a suns fan because i get way more suns tweets than i get warriors tweets um so i've been on them all year it's really hilarious to me the amount of people i've said oh yeah i'm rooting for the suns they're like oh i just can't stand chris ball and i'm like really what what is people's reasoning for that he he can be a dick on the court like that's i i agree he can pout he can you know call people on technicalities he can get on refs Oh no! What what player doesn't do that? Come on! Exactly. That's what I'm saying. You're, he's a winner. That's as simple as that. He's a winner. He hasn't been an ultimate winner yet, and I think this is the year. I the but seriously, the amount of people that have told me they don't like the Suns because of Chris Paul is stunning to me. Because I didn't I didn't know that was a thing. I thought we were all just in awe of his greatness at this point. But apparently, yeah. that's crazy. I mean, oh one God. of the last kind of true point guards left. You know, totally selfless, totally hardworking amazing in the community what he's done for some of the some of the areas within um, within his home state of North Carolina what's not what's not to love I think I think people people just want to grasp onto like a funny thread that you know Chris Paul hasn't gotten it done at the biggest stage um yeah I I, I don't understand that I love Chris Paul yeah um and you know I think for the Clippers who Obviously played well, come back against the Jazz. I think the Jazz, I think the Clippers were a really tough matchup for the Jazz. I I feel for certain members of the Jazz, they got, you know, Donovan Mitchell doesn't deserve a guy like this, but the Clippers, you know, guys like Terrence Mann, Reggie Jackson, these were not the guys you expected to lead them to the conference finals, but they did. Um, I personally, I don't think Kawhi is coming back this season. I don't think he should come back this season. I remember the Warriors championship uh, series against the, uh, Toronto Raptors when KD came back too soon towards Achilles right after that. Um, if I'm Kawhi, I don't come back. I don't, I, I think the risk is way too high. And without Kawhi, I don't see the Clippers outlasting the Suns in a seven game series. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I've always loved Terrence Mann's game though. Um, I think, I think he didn't quite, he didn't quite get the sort of recognition that you might expect, but you know, it's it's not surprising for me to see him be the microwave score that he is. Um, I think he will shine, but again, like I agree that 
you know, you need you need superstars. You need top five caliber players to be able to win a championship. And I know I just said Phoenix. I, like I, I know I just said I think it's Phoenix, but this is a weird year. Um, and yeah, Reggie Jackson, he turned back the clock. You know, maybe a decade or something. Um, so that was that was really nice to see. And also, uh, shout outs to Trey Man, Terrence's brother, who's going to be in the draft this year out of Florida. Very similar type of profile as a player. Um, lots to like. Yeah, and I think you know. Seeing people like Man, like Jackson, like um, Campaign succeed in the playoffs is just showing that, you know, development is not linear. You're not just because you're not a top a high prospect coming out of the draft doesn't mean in a couple of years you can't develop into a, you know, Bruce Brown, people like that. Those are those are players you need on championship winning teams. They weren't drafted top 10 overall, but those are the guys you should be looking for um, to round out your squad. McCall Bridges, of course. Brown go to school? Did he go to Miami? He's a Georgetown target. Um, I think there's a reasonable chance that JG3 could have kept his job if um, if he was able to get Bruce Brown. I believe you. Looking at the Eastern Conference, um, the Bucks have the talent on paper. They have Giannis. They have Chris Middleton. They have uh, Drew Holiday. But they're the Bucks, and I just don't know if. I I just don't know if I can trust them in crunch time, even though they'll they're... they'll find a way to mess it up. If your best <laughs> player can't, if your best player can't hit his free throws in crunch time, it's it you know it's it's tough it's tough for a team to win. And I know people will look at Shaq as the counterexample to that, but Shaq hit his free throws in crunch time. Now, whether or not he stepped over the line, um, that's a different issue, but. It, but the box score and the results and the rings will tell you that Shaq hit his free throws in crunch time, and we're yet to see if Giannis can. Although they did just take down, um, they just did just take down a Brooklyn team with Kevin Durant, um, with Jeff Green, who's you know very important piece, um, and and in the last game, game seven, they only scored two points in the overtime period. So um, who knows? This is a wild, wild, wacky year. Yeah, and just, I mean, the fact that the Hawks are in the conference finals is, you know, maybe the epitome of how wacky this year is. You could you could have maybe made a case for everybody else. You know, Clippers have Kawhi and Paul George, the Suns, probably not. But, you know, they had Booker, they had Chris Paul. But the Hawks, you kind of got to just give it up for the work that Travis Schlenk has done as the general manager putting together this team. It's This is another team, just like the, the Suns, that has put together for the modern NBA even if they still play Gallinari at the three, which might not be quite modern NBA anymore. Uh, but you got guys like Trey Young, you got guys like Kevin Harder who can come in and win a game seven for you. Um, it's just, it's been a really weird year, like you said. And I mean, I think the Suns are going to win the championship, but if you tell me three weeks from now that any one of those four ended up winning it, I'd be like, yeah, I could, I could see it happening. Yeah, I also got a shout out Nate McMillan, one of my favorite head coaches. Never really got an opportunity to compete with the championship style roster. Never had a star like Trey Young in any of his previous head coaching stops. And he's I think he's always made the most out of what he's had. And if he and you know, he's a good veteran presence to be able to continue to guide that team. So shout out to make Nate McMillan coming in on an interim basis and succeeding that the way that he has. Um, moving into our last segment before we um, have a quick break before Sarah comes on. Carl Nassib, a defensive end for the um, Oakland, uh, I mean, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, sorry, <laughs> uh, Las Vegas Raiders came out uh, as an openly gay player, uh, the first openly gay athlete in the NFL. Um, which, you know, Michael Sam obviously came out as gay before the draft got drafted, but never ended up making an active roster. Um, and it's just a really, and, you know, I think part of it too was Nasib in his video, his coming out video, he pledged to donate a hundred thousand dollars to the Trevor project. And I, it's just, and I think it's, for me, it's been cool to see an outpouring of support, you know, his teammates have all been like, that's my brother. Um, we're with him. And I, cause I think a lot of people discount, a lot of people are like, oh man, it's a distraction in the locker room if someone were to come out, but I've never really seen that with teammates and it's been really cool to see. Uh, what are your takeaways from this announcement yesterday? Yeah. So a couple things here. Um, first of all is obviously it takes, 
it takes a ton of courage to be um, to be an actively to, to be an active NFL player and um, come out in this very public way. Um, so obviously, uh, Carl Nassib is very brave for doing so. And, you know, we've had NFL players in the past who who have not been able to who, who have for one reason or another, they have not felt that they're able to come out publicly while uh, they're on an NFL roster. Um, so obviously this represents a big step in that, uh, you know, if Carl, if Carl can be able to live his truth honestly and, um, and continue to play, you know, that would be, that would be a great thing for athletes everywhere of all of all uh, sexual orientations. Um, do want to say though, that, some I have seen, I have seen um, a lot of comments about who cares. It's 2021. Um, athletes, you know, they should be able to come out, um, and all that should matter is whether or not they can play, right? And so I think that comes from a place of good intentions. Uh, this idea that societally we should be far enough um, on the progressive side to or we should have progressed far enough to um not factor to not have to factor sexual orientation into you know player ability or player evaluation but the fact is that i don't think we're there yet as a society and so that's why this is important representation matters it tells it tells um it tells people of whatever whatever um orientation that you can play football, you can succeed at the highest level. Um, this, you know, this, this isn't, I don't want to say that this like isn't a roadblock, but um, it there's the precedent is there, right? The example is there. And so representation is important. Representation is key. Uh, so it does matter. You would love to live in a world where, um, you would love to live in a world where production on the field is the, is the only way that these players are evaluated. Um, but also, also people's identities are important to them too. And they, and, um, and so because, because not everybody has the same identity or the same sort of background or life experience, it's important to highlight some of those differences and celebrate them. And so I applaud what the players are doing. Um, and I hope that the fans understand that this is a momentous occasion. This is something that needs to be out there and celebrated. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it, it's at the lower levels where kids don't feel comfortable being themselves. Don't wouldn't necessarily want to join a sports team because of the feelings that if they were to come up in the locker room, um, it would not be um, a very good experience for them. Um, that's, that's who this is for. And that's who, that's why, especially to see someone like Naseeb donating to the Trevor Project, which tries to reach out and help to, to LGBTQ youth, um, it just makes a world of difference. Anyone who says who who cares, miss me with that. I don't have time to even discuss that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and last thing, too, I think it helps to sort of subvert this idea that you have to be, like, uber-masculine and, like, have these toxic masculine traits to be able to, you know, play a contact sport like football. That's not true. You don't have to, you don't have to like, you don't have to subscribe to a certain viewpoint um, or be a certain identity exclusively in order to play football. Um, We saw that with Sarah Fuller earlier uh, in the football season and now seeing it with Carl Nassib, it's huge. It's huge. Representa- representation matters. Agree 100%. Well, we're going to take a quick little break. And when we get back, we'll be joined by Sarah Watson, a longtime listener and a first time caller. And welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we are now joined by our guest today. Uh, she is the managing editor of the Georgetown Boys. Uh, Sarah Watson, how are you doing today, Sarah? I'm good. Hi, I'm Sarah, first time caller, long time listener, and I am extremely excited to be talking with you guys today. Sarah, very excited for you to be here because you are taking us in an area that this podcast has never gone before. Um, 
And that is because you are a very knowledgeable person about the concept of climbing, the concept of the mountain. Um, a singular mountain. Just one mountain. I, I, don't, I can't promise you're an expert at the rest of them. Um, things like skiing, mountaineering, uh, other very obscure things, apparently. Um, so if you wouldn't mind just kicking us off, telling us what your relationship is with the, the activity of climbing um, and everything that goes along with it, uh, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, mountains for me has always been a family thing. Uh, like before, before I could walk, like my family were taking turns, like carrying me up mountains and stuff. And it is just something that everyone in our family, I think, um, gets acquainted with. Uh, they live all over the world, but you know, as far as far as I know, almost everybody in our family loves the mountains, loves hiking, and and, and more ambitious stuff too. Um, so yeah, that's how it started for me. And you know, I was really lucky to grow up um, for many years in, in Colorado. So I mean, that that and that was just a fantastic experience. Every Sunday going skiing, every summer going camping um, up in the Rocky Mountains, hiking. Um, and then when I got older, going with my dad on these trips up Colorado 14ers, which are mountains over 14,000 feet in elevation. And that's when, um, yeah, my passion for just climbing and mountaineering and, and being in the mountains um, really took off. And uh, yeah, and ever since just getting more ambitious with that. Uh, so yeah, that's that's how it all started. But since then, it's definitely become something that takes up a lot of a lot of my life, a lot of my time and, and thinking. That's uh, that's really cool. I myself cannot say that I've ever gone above fourteen hundred feet except in an airplane. Um, question for you, Sarah: Do you prefer going up the mountains or coming down them? Like, do you prefer climbing or do you prefer skiing back down? Um, I prefer going up. I think. Coming down, whether you're on feet or on skis, is always a hundred times more terrifying. Um, from personal experience, my dad can run down a mountain, and I'll just come like crying down after him slowly. Uh, so, yeah, I think going up is fun. It's more painful in a lot of respects, but you get you get more dissatisfaction out of the activity. Though skiing is pretty fun too, and yeah, having a, having a chairlift definitely has its benefits. What if you were like a penguin? Could you like, what, how would, how do you feel about like just going down on your stomach? I mean, sometimes that's what happens, right? Like if you, <laughs> if you crash, you fall and it's just like, God, what's happening now, you know, which is, you know, then you just got to stop as long as you stop. It's fun. I will say that, um, I will say that as far as climbing goes, I haven't really done much of that, but I used, I used to ski decently often, um, mm. And I don't know if this is good advice anymore, but I had been told, like, if you feel yourself falling, just fall. Like, is that is that true? Is that a thing or, or no? Or is that just me going at like very low speeds on easy trails? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess so. I feel like sometimes stopping falling can lead you into worse situations, though. I've definitely just like stopped falling many times. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I think it depends. Like, I'm you're coming down something like a double black and you don't if you fall you might not stop moving so maybe don't fall um would probably be the key there my, my roommate always jokes she's like you can ski anything but you can also fall on anything um because that's i'll go and ski whatever with her and then we'll be on an easy slope and i'll end up falling she's like why just, you know just happens true yeah nathan i think her advice to you was was get good um, just to kind of bypass the whole falling thing and just be yeah. is what that's, she that's pretty good advice though. Sarah Watson I have a variety of fun questions for you here today um, but I figure before we get into some of the more fun ones uh, I was wondering if you could tell us kind of when you know obviously this is a sports podcast and we talk a lot about like the NBA and you know things that are very in the, the world's mind's eye um, what do you think you know, obviously there are like celebrity mountain climbers like Alex Honnold and people like that. What do you think it would take for mountain climbing and skiing and stuff to get more in the public conscious as like competitions and things that are, you know, that get, people get excited about? I know the communities get excited about it, but kind of what would make it a more mainstream topic? Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting question because like I would 
very much characterize a lot of these activities as a lifestyle, even more than they are a sport. I mean, skiing and climbing and mountaineering is really important to a lot of people who grow up in that mountain environment to the point, like for me, it, it feels mainstream just because that's what people are talking about. And, and not so much even talking about, like that's what people do. Like if you live in Colorado, that's kind of like everybody's doing things and that's, it's kind of wild. And it also means that everyone around you is just good at something, which is a little infuriating. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that what, what puts things like climbing and skiing isn't necessarily the, the com I mean, there's, there's competitions, obviously climbing just got into the Olympics, which is really exciting. That's a big thing. There's, you know, these huge climbing competitions and people come from all over the country to climb. Um, but I would acknowledge that climbing as a recognized sport is still kind of young. I mean, climbing, especially in the United States has a really interesting and relatively modern history. Um, but I think a lot of these activities, they get in the public eye when it just comes to this extraordinary out there events that just kind of show what is possible. Like you don't really hear as much about people in a skiing competitions, but if you hear about someone climbing Lhotse um, and skiing the face of Lhotse, Lhotse is um, one, of, uh, one of the tallest mountains in the world. And it's right next to Everest, um, very much associated with the South called Everest. Um, you, you see people skiing that, and you're like, wow, that's amazing. You see people skiing lines that seem just absolutely impossible. Or you, you, I mean, there's people like Alex Honnold. People can know nothing about climbing, but they'll know the name Alex Honnold because of um, his free solo of El Cap in 2017. So maybe unfortunately, it's kind of these just absolutely crazy events that get the public attention. Um, even though there's a lot of people who do absolutely wild stuff and, and and you know with less attention all of the time oh, but that's how sports grow you know a lot of these more kind of i guess established sports have this sort of watershed events that um that are sort of accessible to the public and compelling and so that's what that's what sort of kick-started them and also i think what you need to see in any in any growing sport and i'm sure climbing is no exception is investment like that's that's how you grow fan base that's how you grow that's how you grow sort of added followers and so um so yeah when they you know these kind of these kind of watershed moments and like epic showcases those are those are great places to start and i think if if it's so modern but we're able to talk about it here um there's there's only one direction to go and that's up yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd also say that like to a, a little, so to a certain extent, these sports don't need to be in mainstream attention to thrive because the ultimate thing is that if you're involved in it a little bit, it's people are almost fanatical about these kind of things. Um, like it, it really is a lifestyle like in, in Breckenridge, Colorado. I mean, there's people coming for events all of the time or in Colorado, there's major competitions and kind of, I think the attitude is, is that the people who do care will be there, you know? And, and I think part of it is also a lot of that, a lot of these activities can be really gatekept. Like you have to have been like raised in a certain environment or you have to be able, I mean, I think a lot of it, unfortunately, sometimes comes down to, are you in the economic position to ski every season? You know, skiing can be expensive. And so I think it is a little bit of a gatekept area of sports as well, in which not any, one and any high school can you know join a team you know um you not in the same way kids can get involved in soccer and baseball and, and football you can't just go and become a world-class snowboarder without without a lot of investment quick 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 follow-up question for myself use the term mountaineering what what does that what does that mean i don't i don't quite i don't know <laughs> I mean, simply put, mountaineering is the business of climbing mountains. Ah. So I think I think it is important to distinguish that climbing does have a lot of definitions. It's not one all-encompassing phrase. Climbing itself is just literal rock climbing can be broken down into bouldering, top roping, free climbing, track climbing, sport climbing, speed climbing. You know, so that there has a lot of variety in itself. Um, and mountaineering is more, I'd say more of a broader category. It can involve hiking and climbing and 
um, technical terrain and also just putting yourself in pretty extreme conditions that are inherently dangerous. Um, and I, I mean, that's what I like to do. I like to climb mountains and sometimes that can be not dangerous and sometimes it can be dangerous, but just the getting to a top of a mountain, um, particularly mountains above a certain elevation or that do have technical elements that just make it more challenging is, is what I find the most fun of anything in the mountains. Going off of that, what would you say the coolest place you ever climbed is? Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. For me, I've always been in either the, the UK or in Colorado. I mean, I'd love to travel more and, and go to, I, I mean, I'd love to go to Nepal. I'd love to go to other places, if, even in North America. Um, there's some amazing climbing and amazing mountaineering that I'd love to do at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've mostly been in Colorado. Um, I grew up in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is north of Denver, um, and would go a lot into the mountains with my family. Um, and then, and more recently, I've been in Breckenridge, Colorado. And so that's where I've been doing what I find, what, what I found to be some of my favorite projects. Um, and a lot of them just solo projects that I went and did by myself. And, and those are, those have been probably the coolest for me. I mean, they can be quite local too. I mean, you don't have to go across the world to, to climb something really, really cool. Um, and that's been really awesome for me. I mean, and then also back in the, in the UK, my family loves going to the Lake District. That is a mountainous region in the north of England. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. It's very close to where my family is originally from. And uh, I mean, that's, that's to me is very much home in the sense like that's where my family goes and that's where they hike and, and that's where they, they climb mountains. And I've always loved it there. It's very different environment than the Rockies, but beautiful in, a very, in an entirely different way. That's really, really cool. Um, I've come, I come from a place, at least where I live in San Francisco, there are a lot of hills, but there isn't really um, a dedicated climbing contingent that comes out of San Francisco, nor did I ever see snow before arriving at Georgetown as a freshman. So, Oh, it was so sweet the first day you saw snow. <laughs> though. That was cute. Nathan, Roman, what was the experience of seeing snow for the first time like for you? I was just like, what is going on? It didn't feel real. I'm not going to lie to you. I was like, this, this feels weird. I, I don't like it. It was cold. Um, was that one like after, after like a production night or something? I feel actually, like it was an all-nighter type joint. <laughs> um, for our listeners, the, uh, the Georgetown voice every semester holds a final production night late into the, late into the AM, uh, after the final issue of the semester. And, um, so we had one my freshman fall. Nathan was there. I was there. Um, and then I went back to Lowinger Library um, right afterwards um, for reasons that are unfortunate now. But um, I went there and uh, stayed up all night. And then me and my two friends, Susan and Julia, went to a diner um, somewhere off campus. And that is where I saw snow for the first time. So and then we had to walk across Key Bridge in the snow. Um, but then later that day, um, there's this hill next to VCW that, um, my neighbor Ethan and I, um, sled down hundreds of times that day. I felt like a little kid. So, um, all in all snow thumbs up, but I've never gone skiing. I'd like to go sometime. I will teach you how to ski. Absolutely. Yeah, gotta... Actually, I could never do that. I will go skiing with you and we'll see what happens. I mean, it's going to be bad. We got to get you to a proper resort, get you to the beast of the East over here. Um, Well, that kind of leads me to the start of our fun questions. Sarah Watson, what do you think Nathan and I would be best at? Would we be better at climbing or better at skiing, knowing knowing us? We can have different answers, too. Hmm. Yes, it doesn't have to be a joint venture. Even though we're pretty much like we're very we're pretty much the same person we share we share one brain cell singular brain cell interesting i don't know based on your initial dislike of snow i'm not sure how you would take roman to uh snow to either skiing or snowboarding though i mean here's the thing i think people often put mountain sports in this category of just like really niche unreachable thing but anyone can do it and then everyone should do it if they ever get the opportunity Hmm. I don't know. I could see, I could probably see you both bouldering 
or trying to climb. Like I could see, I could see that happening. Maybe mountain biking, who knows? I feel like mountain biking could be a possibility. These are the two I would, I would peg for, for both of you. I could see, I could see either of those as, as opportunities you might enjoy. I think for me, it's the type of deal where it's like, if I have an unlimited amount of time and like I have enough resources and like, I'm not going to get like mauled by a mountain lion, I think I could pull it off. Right. But, but, um, but the trick is to not get mauled by a mountain lion. Well, speaking of being mauled by a mountain lion, you just skipped a couple questions, but I guess we'll go to it now. Uh, Sarah, in a text conversation we had, you were talking about what your knowledge is. And you described your your more obscure knowledge as a series of dumb ways to perish. Um, I was wondering in your mind, I know this is going to get a little dark, but what would be the coolest way to go out if you were out on a, if you were out climbing and, you know, you met a mountain lion on the trail or a bear or what would be the coolest way? Like if someone were to tell the story at your funeral, they'd be like, you know, they went out in a cool way. Just like blaze of glory. Blaze of glory, exactly. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, like, realistically, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to die in the mountains. <laughs> and I I might have gotten a little too close to a few of them in the past. I mean, people always think wildlife is like a clear one. I don't know. I don't think wildlife attacks are really, really rare. I would not like to go that way. I'm just like, just, I'm not going to go into the logistics of it, but I feel like a mountain lion encounter would not be that cool. I mean, maybe it's like a badass thing to have on your tombstone, but still it's too graphic. Like you can't, you just can't even picture. You don't want to even consider that. Um, What other ways are there to go out though? Like, I don't want to starve to death either. Well, Interesting enough, interestingly enough, um, if you hike 14ers in Colorado, there's a reason we start before dawn, and that is because the way that most people die is in thunderstorms. They either get stranded on the mountain, they get clipped out, or they can't go up, they can't go down because they can't figure out the cliff, um, or really lightning strikes uh, over a certain elevation. You are really the tallest thing in the, in the area, and you will really attract lightning. So most, I'd say most of the 14 or deaths every single year are lightning strikes or from falls. And I don't know, I feel like a fall would be a pretty grim way yeah. to go out. I mean, I think like, honestly, it would be faster than most other options. And that's probably the way I'd choose because you're like, oh no, and then it's over. You know, it's not <laughs> a lot of, like suffering ahead of that. Maybe, I don't know, hopefully not. Let's, um, let's never find out. Yeah, I don't, I think lightning strike. Like, yeah, I was just messing around on this mountain and I got struck by lightning. Like, whoa, that's kind of cool. Kind of a rare thing too. And, you know, go out all in one shot and and going out in as much glory and energy. You're like, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean, mountain climbing is one of those things where you feel so alive and you really are living your life to the fullest. And if you're just, you know, struck down by god as you're living your life i don't know like that's kind of a it's kind of cool big man upstairs might owe you a bit of an apology after that one too i mean that way you don't have to climb down like you're just done for the day (laughs) this actually leads perfectly to my next question about who in the georgetown voice would you most want to be with you if you were caught in a disaster when climbing someday this, this made it clear to me that I would not want it to be Annie Hogue because she's so small. She would not get hit by oh, the lightning. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. would be hit by the lightning. Um, and that, that would kind of suck. But um, Sarah, who, who in the voice would you most want to be stuck with on the mountain? Mm, this is a good question. There have been a few times in my life where I've been on a mountain in one capacity or another. And I thought, hmm, I really could die today. And it kind of sucks when you're with other people and having that thought, because then A, they have to deal with getting you out of there or just like you dying or B, you are partially responsible for getting that, that for getting them in that situation. And then you just feel super guilty about that. Um, honestly, I probably choose Paul James because I don't know. I feel like 
if disaster struck, Paul and I would just be like, okay, we can take care of ourselves getting down this situation, getting out of the situation. Like every man for themselves kind of thing. Like I feel like Paul could get himself out of a scrape. I've also bouldered with Paul before. And I, I have a feeling that he kind of knows what he's doing or we'd just be really lucky. Um, for our listeners, Paul James is the news exec. And, and yeah, I don't know. I feel like Paul could get out of a situation even if I didn't. And then I wouldn't have to like deal with some ghost guilt. <laughs> Super level head and probably experienced and like, he, he lives in Switzerland, right? Austria, I think. Austria, my bad. Like he probably, probably, you know, there's a good chance he's had s- sort of similar upbringing. Like he knows what he's doing out there, obviously. Solid choice, solid choice. Yeah. yeah. And anyone else, anyone else in the voice, I would like, I would be responsible for their death. Just, just purely, it would be my fault for putting them in that situation, which would kind of suck. Um, I'd have to answer to some people about that. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, mean, I will say that in my experience, the, I can be really scared in a situation, but also if you have someone else that you're trying to get out of something, like you just go into a whole other mode, like you can be terrified about something, but if someone else is more scared than you, you're like, okay, cool. I got to be the brave one. And you just get them out of that situation which is it's kind of cool so there are benefits to, to being with other people in those situations yeah maybe maybe my choice is actually former news assistant isaac solly because that is my that is my my baby boy and if anything were to happen to him i wouldn't be able to survive so maybe i would take him to boost myself up if he was your baby boy i think i'd be calling child protective services <laughs> <that> now. <laughs> listen listen also, isaac knows i love him I feel like also not in a not an affront to you, Roman, but I feel like in that situation, the roles might be a little bit reversed in terms of who needs help getting out of the situation. I'm just saying. That feels like an affront. I'm not gonna lie to you, Sarah. Isaac's from Idaho. I, he has a little bit of mountain experience. What's he gonna do? Pull out a potato? I don't. I mean, I just think he would be able to get you out of that situation a little bit more yeah for thinking experience wise like i th- I think you're uh, you're kind of on the short end of the stick there and it's not necessarily an affront to you it's just like true i feel very affronted. you're from san francisco i'm very very affronted right now Pretty boy um so i have two questions left written down this first one well it's a little distressing to me now because i have been made aware by you sarah that you have never seen nor heard of Airbud. Um, one of the, <laughs> one of the foremost athletes of our time. Um, and, uh, that's what this next question is about, but I feel like now we have to do a little bit of an introduction to it. Uh, Nathan, yeah, this is news to me. <laughs> really quickly tell her who Airbud is. All right. So, um, Airbud is a golden retriever named Airbud. Um, and basically the, the whole the whole gist of it is that um, he gets he gets into the basketball game, and uh, the ref says the ref says there's no rules no rule says that ain't no rule says that the dog can't play, and so uh, he scores he scores many baskets. And then Airbud, which is about basketball, creates several spinoffs, many of them bad. Direct video Airbud two Golden Receiver, where he plays football. Airbud three World Pup, where he plays soccer. Airbud four Seventh Inning Fetch, where he plays baseball, and Airbud five Spikes Back, which in which he plays volleyball. So, I've not watched those. <laughs> oh, I have not watched those either. But I think we can, I think we can imagine what it would be like to see a golden retriever playing basketball, football, soccer, baseball, volleyball. Sarah, my question to you is. If they were to reboot Air Bud and there'd be a new movie, there hasn't been a new one since 2003. Although there is an Air Buddy series on Disney Channel. What I, what mountainous sport would you think Air Buddy Air Bud should take next? And if you have it in you in this split second to think of a badass title with a dog pun involved, what would it be? Hmm. Okay. All right. I, you're right. I have not seen nor heard of this series, which is interesting, though. 
I don't know if this would work based on how the films are set up, but I'm just imagining like a real laid back golden retriever uh, snowboarder, just like, you know, the snowboarder stereotype, just very chill, definitely weed smoking, just like air butt <laughs> in the half pipe, very, very relaxed. Uh, in terms of a dog pun, for snowboarding. There's air not a board. Board. Yeah, airboard. There you go. I feel like it has to have the attitude of a snowboarder. But mm. then I don't know. I think it would be kind of cute to have like two paws on one ski and two paws on the other ski. <laughs> go for it. Flips and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. I think that I think we got a golden idea here. Let's send it. Let's send that off to one. Ah, golden idea. <laughs> was that intentional no but i'm gonna pretend it was right, um, my last question for you today sarah um from one of the first things i knew about you was your many many views of the movie free solo um based on alex honnold um who we spoke about earlier today but my question for you is I recently saw that the the record for most times consecutive consecutively watching a movie is like 120 times in a row, um, which I don't know if that's apocryphal or not. But my question is to you is a Do you think you could do that for free solo? And b Have you already watched it over 100 times? Hmm. Do you know what the movie was that was watched 120 times? I think they said it was Tenet, which is ambitious to say the least. That is. That's a choice. That is a choice for your time. Um, I have not watched it over a hundred times for sure, though I have subjected many people to watching it and plan on making many, many more watch this film. Uh, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it a few times. You know, uh, it was actually it was quite funny. So the the film came out. I watched it with my family. And then I ended up going with my dad to the UK for a hiking trip. We did like a 15-day-ish um, hike that unfortunately had to end a little bit early um, due to an injury. So then we went over to my uncle's house and turns out my uncle had just discovered the movie. So then I think every night we were there, we watched like the last 15 minutes of it. Uh, and my cousin would walk in and be like, again, really? Say yes, because it is just fantastic. Uh, I mean, I could probably quote a good bit of the movie to you. I mean, I just think it's, it really, I think, embodies a lot of things that people wonder about climbing. And, and I think that's the simple question, why? Like, why would you do this? Or, or even for, for hiking 14ers or just mountaineering in general, why would you work this hard? Why would you wake up before dawn at like three in the morning to go do this thing and suffer, you know? And I think it kind of gets to that question a little bit of just what a lifestyle it is and, and what it means to people. So I have not watched it 120 times, though I've probably watched it a good dozen times, or at least parts of it, maybe like the last part of it I've watched, I've watched a lot. Um, the soundtrack's also pretty fire, so it's pretty good. If anyone's looking for a good documentary on, on climbing, that's a good one. There's also the Dawn Wall, which documents Tommy Caldwell, who's another uh, very famous professional rock climber, uh, his story. And I think in that, in a sense, that documentary is maybe even more compelling and just the, the project he takes on is, is pretty, pretty freaking cool. So that's another, another one that will take a little bit too much of my time. But yeah, there's a lot of good ones out there. I like how they're called projects. Like that's that's not what I think about when I when I think about a project. It's a, but um, but yeah, that I don't think I could ever watch any movie 120 times consecutively. I don't think I could. I could watch Empire Strikes Back 120 times, but in a row, no thanks. I have a question for for you both though. What what is your impression of mountain climbing? Like. If I start talking about mountains or climbing, what is the instant, like what is what is the picture in your mind of what that looks like? I mean, for me, it's 
it I'm actually my family are actually going to Yosemite um later in July um not to mountain climb that's for sure so but in my mind it's like hanging off the side of half dome um like just making your way up with barely able to hold on to anything that's what I when so what's up when you ever say I'm going mountain climbing Sarah I imagine that's you just like just on the side of the wall just like flat that's that's what I imagine that's what I see yeah like I I think if there's like a funny scene in Family Guy where like Joe where Joe who's like one of the characters who's a paraplegic he he has an episode where um he gets he gets like a leg transplants and so he makes all the guys like do these like active things and one of them is sort of like like mountain climbing or climbing up a rock and so I think of um (laughs) I think of one of the other characters cleveland falling and he goes ah and then spider-man spider-man shows up at the last second and jumps out and like casts a net for cleveland to land on and he tells peter everybody gets one that's what i think nice this is such a good picture for me i I mean they're both clearly very very accurate like that's exactly what it's like both of those things just merged into one it, the reality is quite disappointing uh, compared to that. I think I'd say going back to the multiple fronts you guys made against me, I would say that I might struggle out on a mountain. I'm more of a let's go to the nearest waterfall and hang out kind of nature kind of guy, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But if I were caught in a lightning storm on midway up or down a mountain, I think that'd be a bit of a struggle because that is not, I don't think I'm built for that. I don't think I'm built different that way. If I could have one thesis statement, maybe not one, I don't want this to be the thesis statement of my life, but if I could have like one message in this context, it's that like nature, nature belongs to all of us and we should all be able to enjoy that. So if you're getting outside and you're just reading a book outdoors, you're going to chill by a waterfall, you're going on a walk, or you're truly climbing, you know, a mountain over, you're you're climbing an 8,000 meter kind of mountain, you know, it's good. It's good. Whatever it is, it's good. And a lot of things that happen in the mountains, anyone can do it just being equipped and having the knowledge to do it safely. I mean, I mean, really, go to the mountains, go be out there, go climb stuff, go learn how to do new activities, just make sure you're being safe um, and maybe going along with someone um, who's been there before to help you out as well. But yeah, and that you're just respecting, you're respecting nature because it is something that we all, we all, none of us own it, but we all get to, we all get to enjoy it. And that's something that's really cool and something we can't forget about. So yeah, that would be that would be my thesis statement if it had to be like I want my my activities in the mountains or my life in the mountains to point to to one thing. It would be that. That was a great ending. Yeah, I don't think we could say yeah. that. Yeah, we out. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I say let's just wrap it up right there. Thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. Um, Absolutely, I'm so so pumped. Um, well, please come back again, Sarah. Please be a second time caller. That'd be fantastic. Um, for Nathan Chen, I'm Roman Peregrino, and that's all from us here at the Voice Podcast Network. And first time, long time. We'll see you again soon.